Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. you're doing well. I'm glad you're here with us today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Travis. I'm the um, associate teaching pastor here at Silverdale. And today what we're doing is we're continuing in our study of the book of Daniel. Last week we began by looking at Daniel chapter 1. So that means today we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 2. So at this time I'd like to invite you, if you can, to get out your Bibles or open a Bible app and turn to Daniel chapter 2. You can also take notes if you'd like to do that or follow along with the notes we provide online. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Um, here's the deal. Let's start this way. In my life, I have been blessed to live among different tribes and among different people groups. I've been around the very wealthy and I've been around the very poor. I've been blessed to see people walk through great victories and tremendous defeat and pain. And I've seen something. I've seen something um, very interesting in all of this. I have seen that those who have been saved, that is, they are born again, and whom love Jesus walk through these difficulties or these victories differently than those who do not know or love Jesus. They, they just simply do life differently. Believers celebrate differently. They spend their money differently. They spend their time differently. They just do. But the most interesting thing that I have seen is that those who have been saved walk through trials and adversity differently than those who do not know or love Jesus. I've seen that in Africa. I lived in Africa for nine years, and I've seen those who have very few resources and do not know Jesus or have confidence in Jesus. Um, They tend to walk through things, and maybe they have great fear. Maybe they, they steal. Maybe they do some evil things. But I've seen those who know Jesus and love Jesus walk through those very same things with confidence. Not a misplaced confidence, but a confidence in their God. I've seen that here in this city, where we live at. I've seen people who are facing imminent death, who do not know or love Jesus. And there's maybe fear, maybe even anger. But for those who love Jesus and know Jesus, I've seen those who are in that that condition facing imminent death, and there's calmness. There's, there's, There's a determination, even sometimes an eager expectation as they know they're going to soon be meeting Jesus. Listen, there is an absolute difference between the way those who do not know Jesus do life and those who do know Jesus do life. And today... As we're going through Daniel chapter 2, we're going to see this on full display. We're going to see the difference between a man who does not know God, does not love God, walk through adversity, and we're going to see a man, Daniel, who does know God, who does love God, Jesus, 
Walk through adversity in a totally different way. It's going to be on full display in this chapter. So let's begin. Let's begin. Get out your Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 1. The first thing that we're going to see is the godless heart has no peace. Let me say that one more time. The godless heart has no peace. We're just going to read the verses. Let's, let's look at verse 1. Here's what it says. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. All right, we'll pause there. We'll talk about that. All right, there's a problem here. All right, here's the problem. You got the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful and famous man in the whole world at that time. I mean, this dude, he got everything he wants. But something happens. He has a dream. And it's no ordinary dream. It's a supernatural dream. And the text says, verse 1, it caused his spirit to be troubled. That word in Hebrew could be used or translated, his spirit was, was struck like with a hammer or with an anvil or, or, or as a bell being rung. In other words, this dude had his bell rung, right? His, his bell was rung so badly that in the text we're told that he couldn't even sleep. The dude couldn't fall asleep. You've been there? You've ever been so troubled that you can't sleep? Well, that's exactly where Nebuchadnezzar is, all right? And he recognizes that this dream, it's an important dream. You see, the ancient Babylonians believed that dreams were messages from the gods. And this time it was, not from false demon gods, but he had a dream sent from the living God. So what does he do? He's going to make a plan. Get to verse 2. We got the problem. We got the adversity. Get to verse 2. This is what it says. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and that the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came, came in, and stood before the king. Verse 3, And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse 4, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. That sounds fair, right? Tell us your dream. Tell us your dream, right? We're going to interpret it. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretations, you shall be torn limb for limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruin. Verse 6, but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. That's a new one, right? The king is like, hey guys, I want you to tell me both the dream that I had, then I want you to tell me the interpretation. He's kind of like, hey, you guys claim to be in touch with the other side, so if you're legit, if you're legitimate, then you're going to be able to tell me both. Tell me the dream, and then tell me the interpretation. If you can't do that, right, you guys are a bunch of frauds. And they were. Like, they're all, all frauds. So it actually sounds like a legit request, right? right? If you can do it, do it, right? But these guys are frauds, frauds. And so they're scared, right? They know they're frauds. They're scared. So now you get down to verse 11, and look how um, they respond. Verse 11, the thing that the king asks is difficult. That's what they say. Hey, this is hard. No, it's impossible. Goose, you can't do that. And no one can show it to the king except, check it out, the gods 
whose dwelling is not with flesh, right? They said there is a God, and only the living God can do it, but the gods, gods we worship, these false demon gods, they can't do it. Why? Why, why can't these men do what the king is asking? Well, the answer is only demons or the demonic can interpret um, things given by demons, right? And whenever something is revealed by the living God, only the living God, the Spirit of God, can have that interpretation. And these guys are false advisors. They only got power in the demonic realm, right? So they have, no, they have no hope or ability to interpret anything revealed from God that the Spirit has given. Maybe you've been an experience, maybe you've experienced something very similar to this. Similar. I have, all right? Like I remember before the Lord saved me, reading the Bible, the Word of God, right? And I, I couldn't understand. I couldn't connect dots. I didn't know what was going on. And then God, in His graciousness, saved me. And God the Spirit indwelled me. And it was at that time when I'd go back and I started reading the Bible, my, my, my eyes were open. I could understand the Word of God deeper. I, I could connect dots. I saw things that I had missed. And that's how it works. That's exactly how it works. And that's what's going on here. These guys worship demon gods, right? These, these demons, not gods, false gods. And this is revealed by the living God, so they must be indwelled by God the Spirit if they have any hope of understanding it, and they don't, so they got a problem. So verse 12, all right? Because of this, all right, the king was angry and very furious. I love that, very furious. He's really mad. And he commanded that all the wise men of Babylonian be destroyed. Verse 13, so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, now real quick, now, now we got two kind of trials going on here. So you got the king, right? You got the king. He's got his trial, the dreams. And then now you got Daniel, and he has his trial. The king wants to kill him, right? I mean, the king had a serious incentive program for the people working under him. Do this, or are you going to die? And that'll get you moving. See, King Nebuchadnezzar, Man, dude's acting like a toddler, right? He's like, I don't get what I want. I'm going to kill everyone. And like I said, the text says what? What? He was very furious. And so we see here that the godless, and that's the king, his heart has no peace. Right? It's interesting. It is interesting. Like, like he has everything that a person could dream of. He's got fame. He's got power. He has wealth. He has influence but he has no peace. Why is that? Because his heart is set on the world. And therefore, he is a fundamentally insecure man. You see, God has made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until we find rest in him, God, the living God. And though Nebuchadnezzar has everything that the world could offer, because he has set his heart on the world... In order to find his peace, he could not do it, right? And he's not only an angry man, he's insecure, and he's hostile, very furious. And he's lashing, he's just lashing out, lashing out. You see, we find peace in this life only in the righteousness of Christ. And that brings us fellowship with God. 
Since Nebuchadnezzar does not know this kind of peace, you see him lashing out. All right? So we begin the text that way. First thing we're going to see, the godless heart has no peace. But now we're going to contrast it. All right? Now we're going to see the godly heart knows peace. So, all right, we saw the godless heart has no peace. Now we're going to see the godly heart knows peace. We're about to see a stark contrast. If Nebuchadnezzar is a man who is restless and has no peace, he's going to be contrasted now with Daniel, a man who is confident because he has peace. I mean, not self-confidence. Daniel is confident in God. It is really amazing. So, so, so let's look at this. And you see Daniel receives the news, right? Hey, 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 the king is mad. He's going to kill you, all the wise men, and include you. Like, you receive that kind of news, you're probably going to think, hey, maybe this is bad. Maybe you're going to get scared. Maybe you're going to run. Maybe you're going to hide. But that's not how Daniel reacts. He knows God is sovereign. He knows God is in control. He's not going to be fearful. Why is he confident? Because he has a heart that knows the peace of God. Look at verse 14. Then Daniel, this is then, after he received this news, the king wants to kill you. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. No, it's not Paul. No, no, no. So he says, how does he respond? Right? He's going to be killed. The king going to kill you. How does he respond? It says prudence and discretion, dis discretion, not fear and terror. All right? Note that. Verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Daniel's like, dude, what's the deal, man? Why is he so upset? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Arioch tells him what's going on. Verse 16, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel goes in and says, wait, 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 give me some time, all right? Give me some time. And notice when he goes in to the king to tell him, give, ask for some time, he doesn't currently possess the interpretation to the dream. But he still goes into the king's chamber with confidence. He says, give me some time, and I'm going to tell you the interpretation. Now the question is, why is he so confident? Why can he go in and say with confidence, give me some time. I got this, even though he doesn't currently possess that information. Why? Because he knows the living God. He's walked with the living God. He's got confidence in the living God and has faith in the steadfast love of God. So you get to verse 17. Here's what it says. Then, I want you to, real quick, I want you to pay attention for the next several verses to this word, then. Notice, here's the, the progression. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Okay, so what does Daniel do? First thing, here's what he does. Daniel goes back, he gets his crew, his friends, and his, his small group, and he says, hey guys, let's pray. All right, let's start a prayer meeting. Let's pray. Let's ask God that he would reveal to us this mystery, all right? So he prays. Then you get to verse 19. Notice once again, it begins with this word, then. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night 
Once again, the word then, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God reveals the mystery, and then what does Daniel do? The text says he thanked God, all right? Amazing. Praise God. Praise God, all right? And this is all God. But did you notice as I was going through that, there is a progression here. There is a clear progression. From the time the trial is revealed to Daniel and his friends to the time that the, the solution to this trial was revealed, there is a clear progression of events. Now, I believe that this is the same progression that all Christians should follow if they have a trial. Let me just walk through it quickly. I want you to check it out, all right, by following that word then. That word then is is, is, is kind of the, the, the progression, okay? Okay, real quick. It begins, Daniel um, is told the problem. Here's his problem. Uh, king gonna kill you. That's his problem, all right? But you can insert your problem. Whatever problem or trial you may have, insert that. It doesn't matter, all right? But he's got the problem. King want to kill you. Verse 14, word then. What does Daniel do first? Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to, to Arioch, all right? So here's the first step. You got a trial, you got a problem, what do you do? Act calmly, get the facts. Don't fly off the handle, don't get mad, don't go gossip, don't gather a coalition of like-minded angry people, don't do that, all right? First thing, you got a trial, get the facts. Second step, once again, verse 17, you see the word then, then Daniel went to his house and made his matter known. Second step, you got a, tr you got a trial, right? What do you do? Second thing, you pray. Get your, your crew together. You start a prayer meeting, right? That's what you do. You pray until you get third step, verse 19, very first. It says, then, once more time, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So you keep praying until God answers. And God, God's faithful, right? He's going to answer the prayer, all right? But then there's one more thing you got to do. Fourth step, you get a trial, you pray, God answers. The last half of verse 19, once again, that word then kicks it off. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Final step is you praise God. You give him the glory, all right? First step, you got a trial, act calmly. Get the facts. Second step, go pray. Start a prayer meeting. Third step, pray until you get an answer. Fourth step, when you get that answer, you give the glory to God. Four steps, right? To any trial or problem you have, it works. It's good. That's what Daniel did, right? That's what he did, all right? Four steps, all right? And then you get to verse 20 through 23. Daniel has a long section in that, in that there where he praises God. We're not going to get into it. You can go back and read it. And then look what happens next in verse 25, all right? Daniel went through that process. He's praised God. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. He, go, he taken Daniel quickly and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Verse 26, the, the, the king declared to Daniel, to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen? And, and here you go, and its interpretation. Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, check it out. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. All right, I love it. Daniel's like, man, no man can do this. No, no human is able to do this. Verse 28, I, li I like this, but 
There is a God in heaven. Amen. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, your dream and the vision uh, uh, the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Pause. Notice. Daniel says, hey, king, there is a God in heaven. And there is not only a God in heaven, there is a God in heaven who is able to interact and have a relationship and reveal mystery to those whom he has a relationship with. What a contrast. What a contrast to the Babylonian religion. The Babylonian religion... Man, they worshiped all the stars, you know, all the heavens. But Daniel and his friends, he says, we went to the God of heaven. We went to the God that supersedes all these false gods that you've been worshiping. And I think it's just a little dig, really, at the Babylonian system. They've been all studying the heavens, but they didn't know the God of the heavens. And Daniel and his friends prayed to that God, the God of all. What was that? What was that, what's that quote that, that, that Mary, Mary the Queen of Scots said about John Knox? She said this. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 10,000 men. What a truth, man. Here's the deal. Prayer is effective. God is all-powerful, and prayer of the saints are effective. All right? So now we have seen the contrast between the godless heart that has no peace. That's the king. He's like, I'm mad. I don't kill people, right? I got no peace. And then we see the godly heart that knows peace. That's, that's Daniel, man. He knows the God of the Bible. He knows the God of the Bible is sovereign and is supreme, all right? So we've seen the contrast. So now the final thing I want us to look at, the last section of Scripture, I want us to see the heart of God prevails. The heart of God prevails. Here's the deal. God's will, God's heart prevails overall. It does not matter if you like it or agree with it. God prevails. He is all-powerful and he is all-sovereign. That means he does whatever he wants to do. Whatever he desires, he accomplishes. And so now in verses 31 through 46 in, in chapter 2, Daniel reveals to the king both what the dream was, and then he's going to interpret that dream. First he says, he goes to the king, this is what you dreamed. This is your dream. Imagine that. Imagine that. You wake up in the morning, you had some dreams. Someone comes in and says, hey, let me tell you what you dreamed. Now, we're not going to get to that in the text. We don't have time for it. That is a whole sermon unto itself, all right? But we know that his what he, that inter what he told the king, he said, this is what you dreamed. We know that it was right because the king does not correct him, okay? So Daniel goes in there. He says, this is what you dreamed. Then you get to verses 36 through 44, and Daniel tells him what the, dreamed, what the dream meant, right? So he says both. This is what you dreamed. This is what it meant, all right? Meant. Now, once again, we're not going to look at that verse by verse because, once again, it's a, it's a whole other sermon. You can go back and read it. But the big picture in the dream is both what it was and its interpretation is this. God is sovereign. He's sovereign in history and over history, both the present and the future. All right? Newsflash, everyone, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, everyone needs to understand completely God is sovereign. 
Nothing slows him down. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and it is always good. And all King Nebuchadnezzar could do was look on, right? He doesn't make the calls. Only God does. And just real quick, let me just tell you briefly, push it together, what the dream was, all right? First, um, Daniel says, um, it represents the dream four different empires, okay? The first empire was Nebuchadnezzar's, all right? He says, this is your empire. Then the second empire is the Mede-Persian Empire. Third empire was Alexander the Great in Greece. And finally, the final empire is that of Rome. Once again, that all came to pass. You can study it in history. It all came to pass, right? It's verifiable, all right? But in that dream, there was an additional kingdom. There is a final kingdom described, right? And it is a kingdom in the dream that was an was the picture was of an uncut rock. That rock was not made by human hands. And Daniel says that kingdom will rule over all kingdoms. And that kingdom is God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is greater than all human kingdoms. That's what he says. God is sovereign. God is in control. So now Daniel has told him, this is what you dream. Now, this is what your dream meant, all right? It's all there. The question is this. How is the king going to respond to all of this information? Verse 46, we see. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, look what he does, falls upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. Man, the king is over, he's overwhelmed. Of course he was. Daniel just told him what he had dreamed and what it meant, right? He is overwhelmed. Now, he knows that Daniel has spoken the truth. He falls on his face in awe, right? And he orders gifts and incense to be presented to Daniel. Not because he thought Daniel was a god, but because Daniel was a represent, representative of the true God. Verse 47, the king answered, here's what he's going to say, and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Pause. I want to talk about this. A lot's going on there, but there's something I, I find interesting, all right? The king, he acknowledges Daniel's God as what? The greatest God of all, right? The God of gods. But the interesting thing is the king does not convert. That's in, it's, it's interesting, right? Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, hey, I, I know he's the God of gods, but I'm not willing to worship him exclusively. He doesn't. We know that. We know this because he continues to worship other gods. It's interesting. Like, your God is the God of all gods, but I don't want to worship him exclusively. And, and by the way, many still do that today. They, right? they, they'll say... Many, some do this. They'll say, Jesus is awesome, right? But I still want to worship all my false gods. Like, like Jesus is, is, is God, right? But I still want to worship myself. I still want to worship sports and fashion and popularity and social media, whatever. That's the king, man. The king is like, hey, Jesus is awesome, and he's awesome, but I'm not going to worship him exclusively. Here's the, here's the deal with Jesus. You either worship him exclusively or no other way, because that's the only 
That's the only kind of worship Jesus finds acceptable, exclusive worship. And it's interesting, the king sees all this, but he will not exclusively worship the living God. And then we get to verse 48, and here's what it says. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and, and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. So we see, um, we see Daniel is a little bit like Joseph in Egypt. Right? Joseph received all these honors. Daniel is promoted to a lofty position. One, ruler over all the province of Babylon. That means he administered, um, he administered the key province of the empire. That's where the capital is. Okay, The capital city is, in, is there. Two, he is the chief perfect um, prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. All right? That means he was appointed as the chief counselor to the king with authority over all the other wise men. And what's the first thing he does? All right, he, first thing he does, look at verse 49. He gets all this power. Look at verse 49. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the provinces, the province of Babylon. And he goes back to his people, his prayer group. He goes, I need to promote them as well. He wants to place godly people in high positions. And then verse 49, but Daniel remained at the king's court. All right? And so chapter 2 comes to an end. And we're going to pick up there next week. We're going to pick up on chapter 3 next week. But we see here clearly a truth that is self-evident even today. Those who have been saved, those whom are born again, indwelled by God the Spirit, and those whom do not know God or love Jesus, they do things differently. Both these groups, they do things differently. They, they, they do, they do. The godless heart got no peace. Got no peace. Like the king, they got no peace. But the godly heart knows peace. That's Daniel. And that's his friends. The question that I want to leave us with today is where are you? Where are you, right? Where are you at currently, right now? Do you not, have you not repented of your sins? Have you not called upon Christ Jesus to save you? Right? If you haven't done that, you don't know peace. You don't know this God, the living God. Or have you repented of your sins? Have you called upon Jesus to save you? If you've done that, then God the Spirit indwells you. And you can rest that he is sovereign, that he is good, that he is behind the scenes doing all that he desires to do for his glory and for your joy. So real quickly, if you're in the group and you've never called upon Christ Jesus to save you, you've never repented of your sins, I want to ask you this very day, please do that. Today is the day of salvation for you. All you've got to do is pray. Repent of your sins. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And call upon Christ Jesus to save me. Cry out, save me. Save me. And he will. And he will. All right? That's what I ask you to do today. If you've got more questions, you can, um, you can go on online, silverdellbc.com, and contact us. You can find me, Travis Jones, on most social media platforms. You can even email me at tjones at silverdellbc.com, and I'll get back to you as quickly as I can. But let's pray, and please join us again next week. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for Daniel chapter 2. We pray that we would be a people who know peace, that we have repented of our sins, that we have called upon Christ Jesus, and that we will do things differently. Not have a confidence in our flesh, but have confidence in our God. Father, I pray if there's anyone who does not know you, that the day would be the day of salvation. And we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Take care. See you next week. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They're about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, We appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.